Hi, I'm Cody Elaine Oliver. I created the popular Black Love docuseries with my husband after seeing the lack of Black people in media and entertainment in happy, loving relationships. We were actually being told there was a Black marriage crisis. So I asked Black people who were married what it takes to make their marriage work. And after more than 200 interviews, I've heard it all. So buckle up and enjoy getting the full story directly from the couples themselves. This is Black Love, The Interviews. Wow. We met at church. I was a music director for a small church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where we both went to college. And Terry was playing football at the same school. But we are two years apart, so we didn't know each other. And he walked into my Wednesday night service and slid up to me and said, I sure like the way you play this keyboard. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. And um, it turns out that a mutual friend had brought him specifically to meet me. And uh, from there, we started hanging out like group group hangout, like the singles at the church would go bowling or go skating. And this friend would always invite him and invite me like, you want to go eat? Oh, sure. And I'd show up and there's Terry. So we kind of got the picture that they were trying to set us up. I mean, you got to understand, I was uh, very, very young, 19 years old, high top fade. Yes. Um, and I had not really dated. Uh, there was, I had one semi girlfriend. Mm, she wasn't really like a, it was one, it, it was a, a period of a few months and it just, it ended really bad. It was just kind of in and out. Literally. Uh, I was, I was not very savvy. Let's just say that. Um, and This I, is true. I also. I was looking at him like, mm, he's a little wet behind the ears. Well, this was the thing too. Um, growing up in Flint, Michigan, uh, in the era that I grew up in, most of my instruction on, you know, dealing with the opposite sex was all about game, and I never liked it. Which he had none. I had none, none, none. But like my negative zero, <laughs> negative two, three. It was not zero. He was below zero. Done. I was like, "Hi, sister." Not even church. Family. How are you? You know, it was. Just, that I was, was his best. Come on, and I like the way you say that keyboard. The main the main complaint. I wouldn't say it was a complaint, but the rumor was for me even in high school. It was like, oh, he corny. Oh, he's so corny. You know. In fact, <laughs> the first time I met his mom. And I saw his room and his yearbook and all that stuff. Everybody would write things like, Terry, you're so nice. Yeah, I was the One nice guy. One day you'll make somebody a great husband. But not, but not, not me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was. Oddly, that's exactly why I married him. Yeah, I mean, it was, I was really just, you know, uh, what can I say? It, it was very, very new. I was a new, wet behind the ears, 19 year old boy. And but then I, I understand when I saw her, the first time I saw her, I was like, whoa, this is a woman. Man. That's a woman right there. And I was uh, and then the second thing I saw was her pick up a baby. And I was like, I was a single mom. I literally looked at her and I went, oh, no, that's somebody's wife already. You know, and I said, oh, man. You know, because I was looking like, oh, this is hopeful. This is, and then it was like, Arr! you know, you hear the record scratch and you see this little baby and she's holding his little, little baby. 
And I go, oh, okay. Who, by the way, was here today. Yes. She's not a baby. <laughs> no, no, she's 32. Uh, but what blew me away, when my friend was like, oh, no, no, you know, her, the baby's dad is not with her and, you know, she's still single and the whole thing. And I was like, oh, it's back open, back open. But then, but this is the thing too. I was so young, I knew I couldn't handle a family. I mean, in my head, I was like, I saw like, oh my God, if this ever was uh, anything could come out of this. But then it was always like, but man, you have nothing. I mean, you have a dorm room, you got three socks, you got uh-huh. your public enemy poster. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have a car, you don't have, I mean, you barely got shoes. You know what I mean? I, I At that time, like, I didn't have luggage. Every time I moved from one place to the next, you just put everything in garbage bag. So I was like, how am I ever going to take care of a real woman? So, so I, first, I was like, she's a woman. But then when she picked up that baby, I was like, this is a real woman. You know what I mean? So I didn't see anything happening further than this is a friend. Yeah. She's a good well, friend. And I always say, too, that girls grow like dog years, right? Like we mature differently. So already young women in high school are considering themselves more compatible with guys a little bit older. You know, you always look at guys your own age, like immature, you know what I mean? And here I was older than him and I was a mom. I remember saying that during my pregnancy, I aged like five years because I'm a firstborn child. I was always the most responsible kid in my family. Were, had my first job at 11 years old. So I was no stranger to responsibility, but being a mother was a whole, like, it was like moving to Mars. And so all the more reason I was not dating a 19-year-old college, what were you, a sophomore or junior? A sophomore. Oh, my God. I think we finally connected um, when, I want to say it was the bowling alley. We all, we, all yeah. went, we all went bowling. Like I said, our church group went bowling. <laughs> and I got up to roll my turn. And I just looked down the lane at him. He's like two or three lanes down. And he had these like khaki shorts on and like a little <laughs> eyesod shirt. You know, a little preppy, buppy looking vibe to him. And I said, he kind of cute with his chocolate self. <laughs> and, he, and I said, and he got pretty legs too. And that was the first time I started thinking that I might have an attraction to him. Um, Just, I don't know. It wasn't anything like magical he did. I just started feeling like he's kind of cute, you know? Now, for me, it was a magical thing that happened. Mm. Because I always thought she was beautiful. I was like, wow. And she was so nice and so... You know, she was saved. I was nice. She was she was saved. I say yeah, was saved. Was saved. <laughs> I'm still saved. I'm a little tired. I'm an old saint and I'm a little grumpy. No, but I have to say this. This was a you know, because I saw she was really, really working very, very hard. She was a single mom and she mm-hmm. was struggling. I, yeah, I, mean, I was going to school, I was working, and I was working at the church. Yes, yeah. so, so I admired that. About, I was like, I got to do something. I always felt this thing like, I need to help her. Like, there was this never-ending feeling of, what is she doing? How is she feeling? 
does she need anything? So, you know, if, if I would always ask her, you need something? Is there anything I can do for you? Whatever. But there was one time I, I just felt like she needed a night out. And I invited her to this. It was like a summer. I didn't know all that. I did. Oh, it's good. But it was, it was a summer. Um, what was the name of it? You invited me to dinner. No, at but. At this expense, quasi expensive restaurant for California. No, but the festival, the festival. Yeah, but we went. No, no, no. We went to that. We went to that because my band was playing at the festival. Oh, that was one of the things. Yeah. Right, Greek, right, right. It, it's like a Greek festival in Kalamazoo. But, but, my band was but I invited her out and I saved up all my money. I was working at a refrigeration company. It was summer and I saved up my money. I cashed my check. I put on my nicest shirt. I remember it was a pink shirt. <laughs> you know, it was a white shirt with a pink top and it had those stripes on it and the whole thing. And I got my fade tight. Wait, and I remember the shirt was too big. It was way too because big. Because back then, the big and tall stores. It was just weird. Everything like was a big. And I was like, his shirt was hanging all over his <laughs> But this was the moment, I have to say, when I knocked on the door, I had never seen her fully made up. Yeah. She's always been working with the baby, head wrapped up, you know. And I went, oh my God, she was done up. And I went, I literally gasped at how beautiful she was. I said, my goodness. Okay. And we went to a, a restaurant called the Great Lakes Shipping Company in Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo, Great Lakes. And uh, that was fancy. We It was fancy. It was, And I, and I remember steak, being, wait, steak, I, steak and what? Surf and turf. You know, I was so new. I had to announce. I was like, you can get anything you want because I got enough money. I was scared that, <laughs> that she would think that I didn't have enough money. But I was like, oh, I got a lot. I almost showed her my, my pocket full of money. Like, look, I got it. So don't worry about it. And we talked for hours. Yeah. And then we went to... To the Greek fest. To the Greek fest. And, and he was not old enough to get in. Right. Because they were not serving alcohol. And in Michigan, minors can get... Like, if you're 18, you can get in the bar, but they mark your hand so you can't drink. But at this festival, it was open. So the liquor was open. So they weren't going to let him in. And so I stepped in front and I said, look, I sing with the band. You know, let us just come in and watch and you can mark his hand if you want, but we don't drink. We're church kids. And they let us in. And they let us in. And, and I, that was our first slow dance. But check this out. I remember leading her to the dance floor because it was really crowded. And I, I held my hand out. I said, I said, we well, want to go dance. And she was like, yeah. And she held my hand. I was like, oh, oh. like you could feel Something, it was like a connection. It was like, whoa. And all I could think was don't mess this up, man. Don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. So I turned around, we got to the dance floor. I turned around, I was probably three feet from her. And I stayed so far away, there was a huge gap. And I just was like. <sighs> it looked like the eighth grade dance, right? No, yeah, because I didn't they're want. they're holding you out here. I didn't want to her to feel like. You know, oh, this dude trying to get on me. Yeah. And then, you look, know. I already have one baby. Right. You know, I, I just. I was like, I'm going to try. Oh, I said, I'm I going. Two baby daddies <laughs> up in here. Okay. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. No, but I, but I, I said, I'm going to respect I, this woman. But do you, you remember know? what I said? Yes. Um, he's standing this far away from me and they're singing like Purple Rain or something. Right. Yeah. And I said, brother, you can relax a little bit. She did. <laughs> you can relax. And he went. <laughs> I <remember that. laughs> and I got closer 
And I'm telling it was like magic. It was magic. And then when I took her home, after the evening was over, I took her home and I knew. I knew. Now this is how I knew. I actually spoke it. I didn't want to shake anything up. I looked at her and I said, listen, I don't know what this is going to be, but I just wanted to let you know right now that I'm willing. Mm-hmm. That was the first moment I saw myself literally like, I can do this. I'm willing to take the baby. I'm willing to take her. I'm willing to, I'm just, I just had to let her know, like if she ever thought where it was her decision to make. So it was really like, hey, I'm willing. Now, the other side of that story Mm -hmm. is that the week before our date, he had asked me on another date and canceled. And I said, oh, okay, he's like that. He gonna make me all these promises and not come through. So I said, sure, cool, 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 whatever. And I mentally told myself, I will probably not hear from him again. I really was that used to being disappointed. And I was like, oh. he's probably lying to me or he's dating someone else or he changed his mind. And at this point, we weren't even really dating. No. I mean, we just were friends, like, circling each other, you know? So when he called me the following week to say, hey, I got my check, we can go out. That was the problem. I was like, <laughs> oh, he coming through. Okay, no. I'm with this. I didn't have enough money. Yeah. Well, I did not have he, enough money. I thought that was his excuse, mm-hmm. you know? I was ready for anything. I was like, I've been burned to enough times to know brothers don't always say what they feel. They're not going to walk up to you and go, I'm just not that into you. They're just, they just back away, you know? So when he followed through with the date, I said, okay, okay. Um, and I did. I got all dressed up, did my makeup. I had this head wrap on my head like Whitney Houston and this big pin. It was quite 80s. It's um, the look was very 80s. And do you remember that we almost got in a really bad car accident yep, that night? Yep. And I remember just... saying, oh, the devil is busy because he already trying to come against this beautiful relationship. But I recall also having a similar, I don't know. I had a vision when I was on the dance floor with him. And after he held me closer, which still wasn't really close, to be honest, it was still some air in there. I had this vision that I was walking through a room, pulling him by the hand and introducing him to people as my husband. And I just sat there. It's almost like that, that it's like an hour long conversation happened in a minute. And I went home and when he said that thing about being willing, I said, me too, Jerry. And I went to bed that night like, I hardly know this boy, and I think I'm gonna marry him. I mean, it was very serendipitous and, you know, from our lingo as believers, supernatural. It felt very right. And there was this precursor for me that I had made a list and it was adding up for me. It was like the things we wanted were just right down that same vein. I was a theater major, so we both had a dream to do entertainment. We loved kids. He was awesome with my kid. He liked her more than any adult I knew, and she liked him. It was all really 
emotional and sudden. I dare say people questioned our judgment because I think we knew each other for three months. And at the three month mark, I sat him down. Do you remember this? A week after that date, I said to him, what is this? Yeah. Like, are we date or are we friends? You know? And he said, well, I really need you in my life. Yeah. And I went, This was on the phone. This was on the phone. How yeah. do you need me in your life? He's like, uh, I don't feel comfortable on the phone. Um, can I come over? And he comes over and we sat in my little ugly rented house. And he says, I just, I have this urge to take care of you. And he goes, like, I want to buy you a car. Yep. And he said, I don't know if your husband would mind, but I want to buy you a car. That's what he said. And I said, but how do you see us together? Like, I was waiting for this, like, ball to drop. Like, oh, I just like you as a friend. I was totally disappointed in my heart by the fact that it felt like I was just going to be hurt again. And I had come off a big disappointment with the baby's dad. I just couldn't even find it in my heart to not be afraid. And he looks at me and he goes, I want to marry you. And I said, I think you should. (laughs) (laughs) This is real. Like, this is very, I do not advise grabbing the first guy you fall for and marrying him. But I prayed for this man. I asked for the universal picture. You know, I felt it coming. I felt something saying, you're going to be married soon. You're going to have children. You're going to have more children. I went to the singles class that teaches you about preparation to be a spouse. And I had no boyfriend. Me and my baby were sitting in that class like, well, he's not here, but he's coming. You know, growing up in a very abusive household. Um, My father, he beat my mom many, many times. And I was like, I'll never be like this. And I just knew that was the one thing I knew I didn't want to be. And also growing up on Cosby, which was wild because I saw the image of, you know, Cliff, and the way he would treat her. And I was like, that's how I want to be. You know, and it's wild because when they say, you know, entertainment images really create the narrative for your story and, it, and how important it is. It was literally the fact that we had a person to look at and say, oh, that's how you treat. Because remember in the street and in, in the hood, it was like, hey man, you need five girls. Tell her you lie to her. I mean, that this is I, mean, I literally was sat down and instructed in this, and I was like, "But that doesn't make sense. Like, how do you have a family? But man, look, man, you just want to play. You want to have game. You want to." And I was just like, Ugh. And, "And it just wouldn't work." And I just saw this is not going to happen. But when I saw those images, I said, "This, this is how I need to be." Well, um, I had a friend. Her name was D. Caudle. If you're watching me, we were a part of 
a like a little Christian Bible study that I would go to. And it was because I lived near her that I went to hers. And I really respected her as a as a woman of God. And I loved her husband. Like they had this, this dance they do with each other that was very passionate and kind. Um, she taught me to make my list. And I never forget going, I'm going to do just what she did because whatever she did got her a man who adores her. I don't know if she even knows that, that, that she had that effect on me. Um, so there's one. Um, I had pastors that I love. Joyce and Irvin Armstrong were yeah, pastors and they counseled us before they we did got counseling. Yep. And um, his treatment of Joyce, again, for me was powerful in that um, I also had a stepfather who drank and my home did have some elements of like what he talked about but the abuse was more directed at me and my brother and sister my mother would have shot my dad if he ever touched her so he never did that but the drunk angry screaming throwing things I grew up with that too my family had money we lived in a big house and you know and we were just as unhappy. So I said that I didn't want a man who didn't love God because my stepdad claimed at the time to be an atheist. And I said, and I don't want a man who drinks. Terry didn't drink and, and me neither really. And, um, and I didn't want a man who ran around. I mean, nobody does. But you'd be surprised what women tolerate and I heard a lot of things that made me go, I will never, <laughs> I will never, you know, stay with a man who does that to me, which um, is a part of our story too, because um, I had to forgive my husband for some stuff. And there was a lot I had to say about how we treat people when they fail. But my husband was for me, the best candidate for me, but in a way he turned out to be the thing I said I would never do. I would never marry an athlete. I would never marry a, you know, kind of roving lifestyle. Like uh, everything I didn't want is what we actually ended up becoming, really. I dated athletes, I remember in high school and thinking, oh, I would never marry one of these guys, you know, please. My first real relationship was with a track guy who was a college track star and I'm like, too many women chasing him. I don't want that. You know, I want a man who just wants me, you know. And I got him. And then he went pro. (laughs) (laughs) That was wild. We went pro. And I was like, holy crap. How did I do that? How did I just like flip this script and go down this life that I absolutely told you I did not want? (laughs) But, you know, early in our engagement, I told her we were going to play in the NFL and then we're going to move to LA and we're going to make movies. And we were sitting at Wendy's. And it remember was that? a hopeful wish. Yeah. That was he, it. He was not a star. <laughs> oh, no. Not at all. So I'm like, yeah, baby, you can do it. And I'm like, Lord, is this going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> I certainly had my misgivings about our lifestyle. But in the um, previous year, we had gotten married. And 
I really felt we made progress with our relationship in terms of understanding the balance of fame and whatever that brought and putting family first. So I was like the rock saying, be home by this time, spend time with the kids, let's say prayers, let's, like I was building that home. Um, he was driven, very driven, but he still had that those good qualities of really loving people. This activism that you see in Terry was always a part of him, this, this urge to spread love and serve others. You know, we both came from a church background, so service is a part of our legacy. And um, I went through a period where it seemed to be hard for him to fit in with the guys on the team. Not a lot of them were married. Um, so he was going out with them and I was distrustful because I knew these guys were like snaky. And I said, you know, and birds of a feather, you know, so I'm thinking if you want to be like them or, or attain their approval, are you gonna be a good person around? Like, are you gonna be Jekyll and Hyde and like one foot in the world and one foot at home? And, and I expressed those doubts to him and he always kind of played the advocate. Like, no, honey, no, I swear, you know, everybody's clowning, but I'm the cool one, you know, I'm the sober one, I'm the this. And I believed him, but I... I sort of always thought there's something you're not telling me because you you pursue that. You pursue that acceptance and that can make you compromise who you are. So I didn't, I, I, so I really didn't think he was doing anything terrible, but I didn't think he was really necessarily keeping his morals either. I'm gonna tell you, I was very, very immature. When we got married, I had this grand thing of, oh my, you know, this is all, it's all gonna work out. This is how love is. And then all of a sudden, she would say something I didn't like. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, you're messing up you. the picture. The picture is supposed to be like this. And then the baby's crying. Again, I don't know anything about kids. Um, is, is, by now we have two kids yeah I mean yeah. we we got in fast and I mean fast rolling we were in a basement apartment um, and I just didn't I really really uh, overestimated just how hard it was going to be underestimated uh, yeah oh yeah well, well, right. no I thought I overestimated how good and underestimated how hard and I'm gonna tell you, um, what was happening was that, you know, I also came up in this very religious background and the whole deal, but I had, I had an addiction to pornography that was before her, that I felt like once I get married, that'll go away. Well, and, and he had told me about it, but right. made it like, but I'm over that. Yep. You know, he downplayed. And what happened was, is that, you know, you learn to just go underground. And you, one thing is, too, is that as a man, you tend to say, well, at least I'm not going like that. I'm not doing that. And you see, and that, so I could legally come back home and say, look, I'm not doing the crazy stuff these guys are doing. But I have my thing. 
you know, and I think and I think which is what I was wondering. I mean, you know, they say women have that third eye. We kind of feel it when things are not, you know, and I could not place it. I couldn't tell you what he was doing, but I felt like there was a divide between us. It made me suspicious, which of course made him aggravated. And then it also made him pull away. And when I would ask, when I would say, well, are you doing this? Or are you, you know, like something is wrong, honey. And he's like, honey, you know, stop worrying. He would just try to reassure me. And I never could quite, I could never quite feel comfortable knowing that he was doing everything he said he was. Yeah. Yeah. That was true. I mean, because it was about the image. It was really about keeping, okay, I got to be this dad. I got to be this father. I got to be this husband. I got to be. But the, the the issue is, is that, you know, when you're talking about any sort of addiction, it, it deals with numbing. Because when pain would come, I would run. Uh, she would come, at the, come to me with really, really intense subjects about, hey, Terry, what about this? And it was like, you know, let, let's go have some fun. And I was a real yeah. fun guy. Like it was all about, okay, let's not, that, that subject's too heavy. Let's not talk about it. Let's just ignore it. And we're gonna, and, and this is another thing when I say immature, I had five credit cards that I couldn't afford and no job. All in college, and this is back when they could get, they, they would just give you one. Yeah, credit cards. And I remember buying, anytime I felt sad, I would just buy something. And she was like, you, we can't afford, where are you gonna, this new TV, this new VCR, this, these clothes, where, how are we gonna pay for this? And I was like, you know what, I'm going pro, it's all gonna work. And I had this thing about just everything's gonna work out. Just, but as long as I can get rid of the pain now, and we'll just pay later. Yeah, I realize I should have done more uh, homework on addiction and children of addiction. Because my, I joke now that my husband was like a dry drunk. He was addicted to everything else. Sincerely, to exercise, mm-hmm. to spending. Like he'd blow his money. Um, activity. He always had to be doing something like an adrenaline junkie. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, let's just chill. And everything was, let's go to a movie. Let's go out to eat. Let's go. And like you say, numbing. I didn't know that's what he was doing. It took years, years to figure out, you know, what this was, what I was about. Um, The big, big thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing I like to say is wild because I was messed put up with a lot. Yeah. Wait, first of all, what's so crazy is that. You know, Rebecca was just damaged enough to stay. <laughs> it sounds crazy because if she had it all together, she'd have been like, I'm out immediately. Well, and I think you downplay too, honey, that um, I had, I hate to say that I had a better family life, but my family was not nearly as volatile as his. So there was this idealization of, well, he's been through a lot. So there's things that I'm forgiving about because I had empathy for 
a lot of his struggles. I didn't think he was purposely trying to be a jerk. You understand? And so I had, and, and so I always tried to be understanding. I tried to be like, honey, but look, this is going to ruin us. You know, this is going to ruin our, our future. And let's, let's just get a budget together and like, you know, do this. And, and then I would say, yeah. you just don't want me to have something. You just yeah. don't want me to have it. Right. And that was manipulation. I, let me tell you, it's so pervasive. And, and I say this now because I, looking back, you can connect the dots. Um, but you can't connect it going forward. You're just kind of like doing your thing. But uh, I really, I just believed that I was more valuable as a man. So whatever I say, it's got to be right. Which is how what his family, that dynamic was present yeah. there, you know, very controlling, demanding. And I witnessed it because we lived with them for a while. My mother wasn't nearly as willing to put up with things as sadly his mom did. And I think he unconsciously took the lesson that that's just how it is. And he would never probably even admit that to himself, mm. that that's how he saw it. And I was kind of feisty, so we fought a lot. You know, I was like, you're wrong, Terry. God's gonna get you. <laughs> you know, I would get in his face. And, oh, and finally, um, well-meaning, well-meaning people gave me bad advice, okay? Just pray for him. Just love him and the Lord will get him, you know? But I should have confronted him about a lot of things. And I look back and realize that I was told in so many ways that it wasn't my place to be overly expecting things from him. He's the man. Let him run his life. You know, you you trust God to deal with your family. And, and that's not bad. But the Bible also says that we're to confront. That if a brother offends you, you go to them and you show them their sin. You tell them what they did. And if they don't change, you walk away, which <clears throat> is eventually what I did. So a lot of people don't know this story, but um, when Terry and I had a come to Jesus minute um, about nine, nine years ago, nine, 10 years ago, he admitted to me that he had been unfaithful and that in the course of the marriage, there were things he had done that crossed the line into either physical or spiritual or emotional infidelity. So whether it was just having too cozy of a friendship with somebody or actual an actual physical act. And it all came on the heels of an argument about something that shouldn't have really been an argument. But it was like, to me, it's like Jesus was causing the bubble to burst. And we started to like fight, scream and fight. And I said, what don't I know about you? Like, there's God is telling me that you're a liar, that you're not who you say you are. And you, you know, and I can't help it, it, but it was, it was as if my, my, my radars were all going off at the same time. And he admitted this to me, like in this moment, he admitted it. And I said, what else is there? Because where there's one, there's a hundred. So 
break it down. And he started to admit stuff to me, like going to strip clubs and going to, he went to a prostitute. And, and I said, okay, well, I'm glad you told me that, but take your shit and leave. <laughs> and I said, I was 20 years in, I had five kids. I had never worked more than a year at a time. Once my kids were in school, I'd work and I'd have another kid stay home. And I was willing to throw him to the curb and take my butt to Michigan. And I don't know what, but I was done. Because I had, I had been through so much physical and emotional exhaustion trying to manage this, like, addiction to everything that he seemed to have. And I just wanted out. And I don't know what made me pop that day, but it was over. You know, for uh, for me, that was that was the day. Like we call it D Day in our house, um, because the thing is, is um, like for death, because I was going to kill you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I look at a lot of the dysfunction uh, that I had was. You know, I'm just a, I'm very, very driven. I have energy for days. Like if I was a drug dealer, I would have been Nino Brown. If I was a gang member, I'd have been Scarface. I was like, the the image that I said what I, I wanted to be was, okay, I'm a family man. So the image was more important than who I actually was. And what happens is you start to stack these things on top of an empty shelf or uh, there's no, it's not supported. So we had the look, we had the family, we had the job. I hear I, I played in the NFL and I had my thing was I'm going to make it no matter what. But the no matter what part was the most important part. And um when she told me she was gone, because my thing is, I'll never forget that night because all these things had happened and I had never dealt with this stuff. And I remember, you know, she would call me and she was like, what is it? And she was, we would just argue. And I remember hanging up and I was like, this is it. And I'll never forget. I was in New York. She was in LA and I was in a hotel room and this. It was around February 4th and it was a snowstorm. So everything was shut down. It was a blizzard and it was dark. And I, I remember just saying, I'll, I'll never tell because this incident happened years earlier, but I said, I'll never, I'll just die with it. it ain't gonna, I, you know, I, I can never reveal this. And I felt like God himself said, Terry, if you don't tell, if you do not use this opportunity to come clean. I'm leaving. Like even God himself. When I say it was a blizzard, when I say it was dark, I, when I say I felt alone, I have never, ever felt that sense of actually the universe itself leaving me to my own devices. And here I was, a successful man because the image was great. But I say this and I will continue to say it, is that success 
is the warmest place to hide because nobody else, they just, you're doing good. And they'll tell you you're doing great, but you never have dealt with your stuff. And I remember my wife called back one more time and, and she gave me those words. She said, what is it I don't know about you, Terry Crews? It was hard. And I couldn't even figure out why I was so riled up inside. I was so adamant. It's not, I didn't have pictures. I didn't have some skeezer calling me. It was purely this internal knowledge that we were disconnected. And he came clean. And then I was, I literally was like, Okay, God, I told her. So are we cool? Can we can we start again? And um when she said don't come home. And I was like, that's not how it's supposed to go. I was like, I, I came clean. I you know, I did everything I was supposed to do, but that's not everything. Because the apology was just the beginning. The re- the revelation, the revealing. And I knew, I said, I said, I just lost my family. I lost my family. Um, and I lost my friend. Again, no matter what, we were best friends. When it got, I mean, we've, yeah. I have to say we've gone through, we've lost homes together. We've lost children together. And I, I couldn't imagine my life continuing on without her. And at first, at first you start to think, oh no, well, you know what? Then maybe, maybe, you know what? I'll just move on. I'll, I'll find something else. I just keep mm-hmm. going, you know, because because you want to, you want to justify. You want to, at first you just go, well, then fine. Then I'll just find somebody else. But then that same voice that told me it was going, it was going to lead me to my own devices. It said, it's you, Terry. You can't point the fingers at anybody else. It's not because you're black. It's not because of your father. It's not because of your, where you came up. It's not because of what somebody didn't do for you. It's you. And I called a friend and he gave me the best advice. He said, Terry, I can't promise you you're going to get your wife back. But you need to get better for you. He said, because it's not going to get any better until you make it better. And I went to rehab. I went to rehab. I knew because we had, this is the thing. We had been to counseling, but I had never really been honest. You know, it doesn't really work until you can tell, until you tell your stuff, you know, until you really, because this was the thing that blew me away is that. I never gave her an opportunity to really know me because I was scared that if she knew me, she would be like, oh, I, this, uh-uh, no way. So I was basically giving her an image to love. But what blew me away, what took me beyond belief, like this whole nother thing that I never saw coming is that once she saw who I really was, she loved me anyway. I was 
was like, what? I was like, I've been telling you that, you big dummy. I, I put the ring on. <laughs> but that's the I loved you then. You didn't have shit. Well, I'll share with you this journey. Um, after I excommunicated him, I went to bed and I just said, okay, God, what do I do now? He said, we wait. And I was like, well, you told me to leave him. He said, I know. And that was very, very, very powerful. That I felt it from the depth of my heart kick into the curb. And I'd always been one of those people who said, long as you are faithful and you don't hit me, I can work, bear with you if you have other problems. Um, and thankfully, we've never been physically violent. But about three days in to this separation, I heard God say, call your husband. I said, you just told me to kick him out. He said, he's very broken, Rebecca. He's ready. And I was like, now I'm doubtful. Now I'm like, hmm. And I felt like God said, Rebecca, if you don't pick him up, he won't make it. And I picked up the phone and I sang him a song by Coldplay. Lights will guide you home and ignite your bones and I will try. I will try to fix you. I remember her singing that over the phone to me. And I knew there was a, a small door because even though we weren't together, I knew I saw light and we could come back here. I could come back here. And that's all I needed. I was thankful. The only way I can compare it is if you ever, when you've lost something and then you, you at least someone tells you where it is. He's like, I can do something about this. I can fix this. And, um, you know, we, it's, it's. By then he had spoken. Yeah. To Pastor Jim and to our our pastor, who was our pastor for several years and um, had been good friends to us, and they recommended, or was it Dr. Penner? Yeah. But our therapist yeah. said, "Terry, I think you're in addiction. You're in addiction. This is classic addiction model behavior, and I know some folks that could help you." Um. I was shocked, like shocked beyond belief that he said yes. Because I had been privy to the dual person. I'd seen the personality 
and felt that he couldn't be honest with people. You know? And he came home from rehab really, really changed. Like not just spouting the lingo, but profoundly impacted by what he heard. And, um, and I had to heal. Because I said, if I leave you or if I don't, I can't hate you. And so we began almost a... It was a remarriage. Yeah, it was like a separation process where we both went to rehab on our own. I yep. went a couple times um, without him. And then we did do, was it one or two times we went together? A couple times. Um, but it was like a, a battle because I wanted to leave him. He would beg me, hang in here, honey, I'm changing. And I would, I would run into people who would say, oh, your husband's such a good man. And I would just roll my eyes. And I would say to myself, why am I even here? You know, I said, I would never put up with not one morsel of infidelity in my marriage. And I felt wounded by this, but God, I felt like said it to me straight. He said, Rebecca, if you're a fool, then I'm the biggest fool in the universe. Because you forgave him, but I forgave the world. And I couldn't argue with that. You know, there were, I, I cannot go in, I can't even describe how brutal that period was. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it was, I would say it was a period of three years yeah. that. It was like sheer hell. <laughs> it was the hardest. I mean, because there were times when they have this thing called disclosure where you, you know, she would ask a question. So, yes, okay, I grilled where, him for information. Oh, but, and, it, and you have to answer All honestly. Night. What was her name? All night. I remember being up. We would be all night long and I would get up and go to work. And then we'd do it again. And I remember just literally laying in exhaustion. But the thing was, it was like, but I have her. The fact that we are actually talking. And then there were times when I would come home and she'd be sitting there in tears. And I don't know how long she had been there. Had no idea. And I remember walking back over to her and just saying, I'm sorry. And I would ask her if I could hug her. And she'd nod and we just hug and nothing to be said. But but I knew I caused that. It's it's one thing that's uh was wild is knowing that I was the reason she was crying. But it also made me more determined because I said. I said, this, I have to make amends. I have to, apologies are never enough. So I delved into therapy and I mean, books and people and questions and who am I? Why did I make these decisions? What is this about? Because in my community and in our community, therapy was looked at as a joke. It was like, man, that's crazy. My father went to a therapist and the therapist killed himself. 
that was uh, the early knowledge of what that is. You're like, oh man, these people crazy. And people will tell you like, oh look, just, just wave it off, and, uh, you know, go pray, go somewhere and pray. Mm-hmm. But I was like, yeah. but them people in the church is strip club too. Right, because they're not honest with their own emotions. We were never honest. And that's our people. And I, listen, I I can't speak for any other community. But I know the community I came up in. And so my thing was, I don't have game, but I still had a lot of I women on the life. side with the pornography. And so a lot of people feel like, well, it wasn't that bad, but... Because you are, as a man, you compare yourself to other guys. But man, when I saw how insidious and how much it robbed me of who I was, I said, I will never go back. Never, never. And yeah, he was relentless. Oh. Um, I even made him take a polygraph. Yep, we did a polygraph. We, after we did disclosure, the, the therapy center that we attended is one of the premier facilities for particularly sex addiction. They deal with criminal offenders. They deal with everything in between. And one of the things that they told me was, you are not required to trust him. And if you don't believe something he tells you, ask him for a polygraph. And if he refuses, then you have your answer. So I went to New York and got myself a lie detector paid the guy to come to my house. And I forewarned him. I said, I'm gonna make him take a polygraph. And he passed it. And the purpose of the polygraph was essentially to assure me that not only was he in recovery and not relapsed, but also that he was completely forthwith about everything he told me. Because I was having this nightmare, like, you know, once you've had trauma, you're afraid it's gonna happen again. Like every day you walk around thinking like, who's gonna come out the woods? You have a kid somewhere? Do you have a, I mean, you know, you have a mistress in Toronto, you have a what's, you know, cause now I, I trusted him because he admitted it. But one thing addicts do is lie. They'll tell you a little and not tell you the rest. You know, there's just, there's an insidiousness to the deceptiveness of the whole thing. The incidents um, involving Terry with you know, the sex addiction. I don't know if you can count them as affairs. He wasn't involved like with somebody and dating somebody and paying her rent. It wasn't that kind of thing. The the addiction for him was the, almost the anonymity of it. So if it wasn't porn, it was a strip club. If it was a strip club, you know, it's a prostitute. So it's like um, getting a hit and then you just go home. I didn't think that was going on, but I didn't like living with this guilt that he seemed to throw at everybody because he was under all this. He was under the impression he had to become something else when he came in the door. He was mad all the time. He was agitated all the time. He was he was unloving. Um, He yelled at me. He yelled at me in front of the kids. And so I say that I was abused because he could not cope with who he was. And so my initial anticipation that I'm about to get divorced was over an argument that escalated and 
turned into this horrible thing and the kids are crying and I'm like, I'm sick and tired of this so-and-so blowing my holiday, blowing the Disney trip with his damn temper. Yeah. So I had no real, cause he wasn't like sitting at home popping in tapes. It was never at, you know, obvious in that way. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? He's on a set for 15 hours. So he's on his laptop, you know? And so, though I suspected there's gotta be something. I'd check his phone, i check his computer. I mean, he's erasing the history. I'm like, well, what's he doing? You know? So I think there was one time, I think I maybe caught you red-handed watching the porn. One, and I said, well, you need to go talk to somebody. Yeah. Oh, I will, I promise. I pr and he was always very, oh, I promise. But in the scheme of things, we were apart a lot. You yeah. know, we just were. Yeah. Um, I never knew the specific. I just knew I didn't feel right. I mean, I would spend months on movie sets and different right. locations and, you right. know, and you. And then on top uh -huh. of that, Everybody told me, your husband, your man, he, boy, he don't mess with these girls. He don't, like, the roguishest dude on the set would come up to me. You got a good man, Miss Crew. Like, could nobody tell me nothing about him? There was no rumor mill. That, and I'm not that I looked, you know, but you understand what I'm saying? So all I have is this guilt, really. Like, why am I suspicious? You see what I mean? Why am I suspicious? I'm like, I'm, par and he would say that. Oh, you're just paranoid. And I would go, well, I guess I am. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Which is common, you know, addiction maneuvers. To gaslight. Yeah, gaslighting. Yeah. And again, look through my phone. Look through my, well, he had paper dolls. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was like, there's no real women. Not really, you know. I just, I just had this, this this edginess about me and this desire to just run like I kept wanting to run and every time I would try I would say but what am I gonna say how am I gonna tell all our friends and family that respect us that love us I'm leaving him for no reason than suspicion I mean you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. It, and that constant irritation in my soul that I was married to a charlatan, you know? And I would call him that. I would say, you're such a phony. You know, you smile at the camera and you yell at me in the car. I'm like, you know what? Well, yeah, that was, yeah. That, that one incident. Yeah. We were basically going to somewhere and we had the biggest argument in the car. The biggest. We were in there yelling. And, uh, and a lot of our arguments were projection for me because she would bring things up and I wanted to get out of it. I don't want to talk about this no more because the more truth you got to tell. And so it's, it's well, you know, the big thing is deflection. You know, what about you? And what about this? Remember when you, and so that way you could keep the thing spinning because the plates are all up and they're going on sticks and you don't want anybody to tip these plates over because it, it just knocked the whole thing over. So. We yeah, argue about was, anything. And it was funny because he was such a nice guy in his space. Right. You understand? Like real masking. 
which I tell them all the time, you know, serial killers do that. I could get really because once, mean. Once everything was, you know, laid bare, I went through a period of going, like, what else don't I know? Like, holy crap. Like, I was, you know, more asking his counselor, like, are my kids safe? Like, is my, is it, I, I mean, it sounds terrible, but when you feel like you don't know who someone is, I had a complete, like, meltdown of the ability to, to believe in the goodness of people in general. So you're walking around like, A2 Brute, who else is going to get me? You know, I didn't trust anybody. But I want to say this about Terry in terms of his commitment to truth-telling. Because as we went through this journey and we abdicated all responsibility to be perfect, he said to me, I want to tell my story. And I went, I'm not ready for this. He said, but honey, I want to come clean because everybody thinks I'm such a great guy. And I went, well, I know, but I don't want to be with that a certain way. Because I told people that I would never leave my husband, but not everybody knew what we went through. And I felt almost a pressure, you know, as a woman, as a black woman, we don't take that. So you're stupid. You know, and I had to ask myself, what did I want to be remembered for? And in some ways, I didn't feel I had the the purpose of God in me to say to be a warrior or to be some kind of advocate or be some kind of truth teller about this problem. I just wanted it to disappear. Let's just save our family. And if you help people down the road, okay. But people were asking us how to make it. I mean, we were inundated, inundated with calls and letters and emails. My husband's on porn. My husband is crazy. He's watching porn night and day. We don't have sex anymore. The men were calling him and texting him and tweeting him and it was gigantic. I mean, everything from pastors to attorneys uh, to wait the biggest super. You, oh my it, God. It, it's the it's names like the of drug, people. You know, I was like, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one because yeah, yeah. that's the way shame works. It makes you feel like we the only couple in the world that ever go through this. And yeah, and then I found out there's like a cottage industry around this addiction. And I found books and ministries and counseling centers and like everywhere. Once I Googled it, I was like, holy crap. We're like in a pandemic with infidelity that is bred through the internet. Whether it's a chat room or it's a Facebooking an X or allowing your kids to see porn and all the crap that comes from it. And, uh, I didn't want to be a part of it, but I was an unwitting victim. I said, really in my heart, I can't, what could I do? I still really feel I wasn't ready when he published the book, to be honest. 
thing is, uh, it's really, really exhausting being two people. You know, one, one, it's funny because I had a young actor come up to me and he uh, he basically said, hey, man, it, it, it's, is it hard to keep up your image? And I looked at him and I went, dude, that's not what you want to do. There is no image. It's just you. But what he's basically telling me is, 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 is it hard to be two people? Mm. And the acceptance of this is what you got to be out here. But deep in here and in the uh, other circles, that's totally accepted. But once I became one person, mm. once all my secrets, all my dirt, everything had been out and mm. exposed, I was like, I'm free. And once she decided, it because it was her decision to stay with me. It was her decision. I felt like the Brokeback Mountain guy. I can't quit you. (laughs) (laughs) I swear. I tried. It, you know, if you ever picture, what's the movie where the lady is trying to get away and the wind keeps blowing her back? People kept telling me, you ever leave Terry, you'll wish you hadn't. And I kept going, why are random strangers saying these off-color things to me? And people's stories just, it was like somebody was trying to say, give this guy a chance to prove he can do better. You know, one thing we did do that was very, very big and controversial was we did a, a 90 day sex fast. And people were just like, what? <laughs> you know, 90 day, three months of no sex. Married people. Uh, I had guys that were like, that's impossible. It's impossible. But I'm going to tell you that that was still to this day is the most special time. I, I, for me, I felt our relationship turned the corner on that because you, you, I had to realize like I had to love her all over again. And I felt like we were kids in junior high where sex is not even part of the equation. Where it was like, I love you because you're Rebecca. And it became like we were just, we were best friends again. And sex was out of it. But I had to relearn who she was. Because you start to, you you didn't realize how heavy all that other stuff was. And and how it depended on all this other stuff. Mm. And you just, okay, let's get together so you hopefully I can get. But when you take that out of the equation, now, this evening, we're not going to have sex, no matter what. So now, what are we going to do? It was during rehab that we first heard about this practice, that um, couples who had been through the trauma of infidelity practiced recording each other. But, I mean, it was odd because Terry was like a go-getter. So in my head, it's like, oh, we about to be on this train. You know, it was like everything in his life is a mission. 
the NFL was a mission, you know, and Hollywood was a mission. So addiction recovery, we're on a mission, you know, and he's, come on, honey. And I'm like, you know. <laughs> always pulling her along like, what is going on? I always joke that he jumps off the cliffs and I'm the one going, have we measured the, ah, you know, the drop? Because I'm like, I'm slow and steady. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. see, the, the first year we tried that, we failed. We failed. 75 days. Yeah. I'll never forget it. We went 75 days and I was like, oops, we went, we just went in. I saw. Yeah. And we, I think we were trauma bonded too, because we were both hurting. And so they say sometimes the wife becomes now addicted in the sense that she's craving um, connection. So they're cry, you're having sex and you're crying and you're fighting and you're, you know, I mean, it's just like, give me a break. This is crazy. It was, you know? it was it was wow. like, give me a Xanax, you know? Wow. Um, the first year of marriage or the first year? The first, the first year of the recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we did. We, and, um, and then we went, and then, and then we I, went I said, I said, we have to do this again. Ever the quintessential I mountain did. climb. I did. I did. I just wanted us to make it through. But you I, know, I got to say this. I got to say this. I want it to get better. Yeah. I want it to fix it. And I said, I will do anything. I will do anything. It was a year. It yeah. didn't matter. Yeah. I did not care how long, how much I had to do. Whatever I had to do to make this right, I was going to do. And we did it. But the next time we did it, we did the and 90 days. What's cute is that he says, he says, I'm going to marry you right this time. He said, and if I get to 20 years of good behavior, I've done it. You know, so now we have this little joke. I say, um, you're bought and paid for. And he's like, I got 10 more years. 10 more <laughs> years. But whatever that 20 was, yeah, we're going to have 20 good. 20 good years. And then we're even, and then we're gonna go on into heaven. We're gonna just then oh, it's, no, then it's I'm all. I'm trying to be here till I'm 95. No, when so. I didn't say die, I meant the oh. marriage. I oh, meant the marriage oh, okay. going into into the into the best. Yeah, it'll be. I mean, at our 50th anniversary, it'll be gigantic. Yeah. Well, and the thing that I love about Terry is that um, he's so he's he's um, apologetic. He's open. He's empathetic to me which is people say 360 but that's all the way around 180 i mean do you understand i lived with a man who couldn't admit to himself that he was a failure in any way he couldn't say i was wrong and now if i just go honey you know that was a little oh, i'm sorry honey. and i'm like who is that mass man <laughs> you know he's He's, he's a better man. And I will tell you, I didn't think I would ever see that. When I tell you I was a skeptic and I preached the gospel, my life was changed. I know people change, but you've been in something that long, you just figure under the bridge, you know, if I marry again, which I doubt, you know, I'll be lucky if I do half as well, you know, and uh, I feel as if I have the better person 
And so I joke that uh, he's my new husband. Yeah. Yeah. We spent almost three years in Connecticut. That was right after. Right. That was that period of the hardship. I mean. Yeah. And when we moved back to California, and I was what was wild because I was out here first, and I had a job, and yeah, and, and mind um, you, D Day was during second season of Family Cruise. Yes, so yes. we're doing the TV show, and I want to shoot him in the back. Oh, of we're on TV in the middle. We went on a press tour five days after he dumped all that on me. We went on Monique. We went on like, yeah, we had this great show. Oh my that God. Was, that was, that was crazy. Um, like when I say it was brutal, it yeah. was just dark. Everything. But was that dark. was second season. Then he got picked up for the sitcom. And we all, and that was hard because I was like, mm. moved out, moved to Connecticut. Yeah. I'm like, mm, I don't, I don't like Connecticut. And I'm not sure that we're going to make it. And he's, he begged me, like, please come to Connecticut. Now, I also have to say that this was affecting the kids, too. Oh, heck yeah. This was affecting the kids. It was not, it was the kids' moods were dark because they could feel what was going on. And we had to sit them all down. And we talked all this stuff out with the kids. And from the young ones all the way to the older ones. Yeah, the counselor said, you got to tell your kids. It's hard. You have to put them in the process. It was fire. I, all I could say is fire. It's like walking through flames. And you just win, wonder when the pain will stop because you have no idea. But you know one day it it's just has to. Uh, so when I moved out back mm-hmm. to California and I remember renting a house and when it was it was almost a point where I was wondering if they were everybody was going to come back with me. And when I got when all those my wife and those kids were back in that house and I remember we were sitting there in boxes. And I looked at Rebecca and she, I don't even see she saw me looking at her and I saw the family. I saw the kids. I said, we're going to make it. That was the moment I knew I said. They're back with me. We're back in California. We're going to make it. No, that was not. That the was moment. for me. That was not the moment for me. Okay. Mine was after that. We had bought that house in Connecticut. And then we came down here and we couldn't get a house in Pasadena because we left Pasadena and I had promised my kids we'll come back here so you can grow up with your friends. Um, and it was after we got this home and the book was done. Mm -hmm. I never forget the day we opened the box and and manhood was in the box. And we both sat there and cried. We cried all day. Like this is our, this is our pain and our process and our journey for the whole world to see. We did. And then I felt like we had a, we have a mission. And something inside me said, it's not just you, Becky. Like you could have your new husband and your new life. 
But what about Terry? What about those kids? What about all the people who suffered like you have and need to know you can come out the other side? Because I loved him. But I think I wanted my bitter revenge. You know, I wanted a Tyler Perry movie ending. You know, the UPS guy sweeps me off my feet and eh, to you as we drive off in the Cadillac or, you know. And I said, well, what good is that? You know, I mean, if I get to see 90 with this man, how could I not forever say that it was a journey worth taking? And he has always made me feel that I was worth the fight. And I guess I just couldn't see him without me and me without him. Especially him without me. Because I'm good for you. You be needing yes, me. Okay. You be needing me. Love you. Love you. Better act right. Mm-hmm. You're my baby. You need to make up on you. I mess you up. Just okay. <laughs> you guys are adorable. <sighs> I love it. Oh man, I'm a wet noodle it's right like, now. It's like, look, it's like love. Uh-huh. I'd be like, that's my baby, Terry. <laughs> but we like the drama. What's wild is what happened to me a, a couple of years ago. We were together with this uh, this agent and this sexual assault. I always want to continue to bring this up uh, because she was there with me. And uh, when I say the term, you know, toxic masculinity, I know what I'm talking about because I was in it. I was guilty. And I always say that. I know what that looks like. And so when it was happening to me, I was like, that's it. And when... You know, we were there together and, and, and like I said, people act like we didn't come out, you know, years ago. We went the next day to say this is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's wild because I, I almost feel like we went through all of our thing together to help so many people later on. I mean, we didn't see this coming. We didn't see it. And I even went through a period of saying, you know, why, God, did I go through this? In other words, you know, we all have problems. We all have issues. We we come with our luggage, first class luggage to our marriage, you know. But I did have a little bit of a victim mentality when I went through this. Because I went through the whole, I've been a good wife. I've been a good mom. I've supported every dream. I mean, hey, I deserve better. And I felt like God said to me, you were wild once yourself. And when you were hurt, you did things that were stupid. And he gave me this tremendous empathy for my husband. And people say, well, how could you overlook or how could you be so forgiving? But I walked in his shoes. 
I walked through different things that allowed me to see his lens on life. And it made me feel sorry for him. And um, it gave me the tools to see it, to see it as addiction, to see it as a part of his humanity that wasn't whole. Rather than just, oh, men are dogs, go to hell. I think we have a narrative that is very narrow in the way we talk about women. And as the mother of four girls and one boy, I have a great need to see to it that even the toxic way we speak about men and the toxic feminine behavior and beliefs are are mitigated because of hurt we say things about people that are prejudicial that are all consuming broad generalization and we banish ourselves to this island of isolation and bitterness because we don't believe in love and i think maybe i stand as a witness that love can be born out of a dead person and that there's a broken boy inside every dog. And that if he can be touched, maybe he can be changed.